Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson, joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, I apologize. I uh, forgot the SD card at home. So if we have any uh, um, sound issues, blame our computers and the uh, the Wi-Fi here at Lucas Oil Stadium. But I'll really just blame me because it's my fault for, for forgetting it. Um, we're, we're in a very different place than we were the last couple podcasts. Colts won today, 20-17. to 17. Uh, a result, it was pretty ugly on offense specifically, uh, which we'll get to. We'll talk about the offensive line and some of the issues that they've had uh, and how it's affecting the entire offense. But it, as as ugly as it was on offense, I, I don't think that that should uh, underwhelm or, or undermine the, the significance of this game. The Colts needed a win pretty bad, and they got one against a team that, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, is the class, class of the AFC until uh, proven otherwise. Um, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't think for whatever reason, I think there's some very tangible reasons why, but Frank Reich's teams in five years have always played their best with their back against the wall. And they, they did it again all week long. It felt like, it felt like fire and brimstone was raining down in Indianapolis and they come out against the chiefs who've looked pretty good in the first two weeks and end up winning the game. Um, I think that's probably the best place to start. It's just the atmosphere around the Colts, and and justifiably so after the way they lost to Jacksonville last week. The atmosphere around the Colts has been so harsh, and to come out and get this win I think is significant. No doubt. It's just incredible the way that uh, this league unfolds, the tests that get thrown upon you and and the answers that we get along the way. And this week felt like such a critical point in the season – not that they had to win this game since it's only week three, but we we were going to learn a lot about this team, this defense, this coaching staff, these leaders, by how they would go out and handle Patrick Mahomes coming into their stadium in a week where there's a lot of, of ways that this could splinter, you know, and, and really go poorly. I mean, they, again, didn't have Shaquille Leonard to play. Uh, we knew the offense was going to have problems and, again, had problems. You know, they've they've just dealt with a lot of really unfortunate situations where, uh, you know, they, they had to replace a kicker. They lost a punter for the year like they're every little part of their team, offense, defense, special teams has had these sort of issues going on. And yet all we heard all week from Reich is what he's he said since he got here in Indianapolis, that that people have turned into jokes at times about, you know, getting one percent better. And we're not that far away. It seems like an ocean on the outside, but we really believe we're close if all these players in all these areas can just make you know decent improvements and if they can get back to great players making great plays and all week long you feel like anything i shared from from reich or anybody else that was sort of uplifting or, or looking positive i mean the, the negativity and the and the cynicism from fans it reminded me of covering the lions and bears again and like you said it was completely justified based on the fact that this team hadn't earned their trust yet but Today should be a performance where they earned a lot of trust because there are issues we'll get into that have to be resolved for this team to really keep doing this and make this a sustainable formula. But today was a total back against the wall moment against the type of quarterback, the type of coach and team that can just expose everything you have going on wrong. And all they did again and again as a team was rise to the moment. Every time it felt dire today, they rose to the moment. Some of it was Chiefs' mistakes, but you know what? They put themselves in a position to force the other team to make mistakes, and then they made the plays to win the game, especially on defense. Uh, that, that to me, is the most incredible thing. And, and I just think with how much has changed in a week, 
Uh, you know, last week I wrote, I listed all the Pro Bowl players they had on defense who were not making plays. And I did that because I didn't want to single any one of them out when they all were not making plays. They almost all made plays today. Stephon Gilmore, Yannick Ngakwe, DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore a little bit in, you know, and then Shaq wasn't out there. But the their best players looked like their best players again. And it's just a reminder that, like, as bad as it can get in week one or week two, you know, there's, there's sometimes more that we can see. And, and some of these players are still really, really great players and really great leaders. I really thought that DeForest Buckner um, set the tone. I felt like, especially early on Kansas City's drives, you know, he, he finishes with a stat line of four tackles, two quarterback hits. That doesn't feel like, you know, a true a dominant performance. But there were so many plays, especially in the first half, when he would win his one-on-one and force Mahomes to do something, whether it was step up, whether it was scramble, um, whether it was into the arms of another rusher, uh, he, he just kept moving Mahomes off of his spot. And this is a this is a Chiefs offense that wants to get the ball out fast. They want Mahomes to be able to throw it at the top of his route. Um, Muckner kept making that a problem, you know, and uh, that that ended up paying dividends. I mean, th- th- this Chiefs team, uh, I think everybody who watches the NFL knows how, how good the Chiefs are on offense. And... The numbers today for them, from a team standpoint, uh, 315 yards, 5.3 per play, 17 points. I mean, that's that's as good as you can play against the Chiefs. That's not a team you're going to hold the 200 yards, you know. And and. I thought Buckner was the start of it. I think I think when you when I go back and watch the tape, I think the secondary is going to play a big role in making him hold the ball. I, I wrote last week about their quick game. They've had so much trouble with quick game uh, and letting quarterbacks get the ball out of their hands without ever um, getting a chance for the pass rush to get there. That the Chiefs' quick game didn't do a whole lot today. Um, and and you know I think one of the guys that stands out is, is Stephon Gilmore. I mean he made a huge play at the end obviously, um, deflecting a pass that, that Roddy McLeod ended up picking off. But, you know, they lost Julian Blackman in that game. I, the, the other thing with Gilmore, he had a hamstring injury. I mean, you talk to him, so you can you can get into that a little bit better. But they announced him having a hamstring injury right around halftime, it felt like, maybe mm-hmm. coming out of halftime. And then the first defensive series, there's, there's Stephon Gilmore playing. And I don't think that's – I think that's significant. That's – that's a, a big deal. Um, they've they've had a cornerback here in Xavier Rhodes who's kind of always dealing with something and always missing snaps. Gilmore just hasn't been that guy. He's He's been there. Um, he had a key third down stop of Travis Kelsey on a crosser. And uh, Gilmore, Gilmore, like Buckner, I think, just really set a tone for this defense today in a really good performance. No doubt. Yannick Ngakwe actually said about that, you know, it's when you have Stefan Gilmore making the plays he's making and the pain he's in, you know, that sets a tone for every single player on this team. And this was the thing that I kept feeling from this defense is what they needed was a tone setter, a tone setter game, a tone setter performance uh, that shows a lot of the younger players and the backups and the guys who are in roles they're not used to being in that, that it's serious and it's go time. And there's no more serious player maybe in the whole NFL than Stephon Gilmore. I mean, he is one of the most soft-spoken players. He's soft-spoken with us. He's soft-spoken with 
with his coaches and teammates. But you know, a quote from Brandon Faison that I, I really liked is he said, he's quiet, but he's not quiet. Because he's one of those guys, when he speaks up in a meeting room or when he speaks up in a meeting, every single person listens. Because he's he's not here to be rah-rah and he's not here to be gimmicky, but he is a sort of wealth of information and the confidence to use it. And that was what got this week through, right? By talking to all the defensive backs. I've I spent the whole week working on secondary stories, you know, and, and it, at one point, it, you know, the story I did a couple of days ago, you know, with Julian Blackman kind of getting fired up, uh, it could come off as like, you know, they weren't buying into the, to the scheme. But you got to think about the makeup of most of this secondary is like really quiet and cerebral players. It is the quietest secondary I've ever been around. And yet maybe the smartest secondary too. the way these guys understand what they're looking at. So they just had to get to a point where they could translate what the coaching staff wanted into practice, into the game, be available for it. Um, and that, that meant, you know, and, and for Gilmore, that meant playing through an injury. It was a hamstring issue that he said loosened up, came back on the field and just made play after play. And he showed like, we've been pretty hard on Chris Ballard, you know, and some of the, the issues they've had with personnel failings at certain positions, but He's got to get credit for signing Stephon Gilmore for two years and $20 million because those type of plays against that kind of quarterback in a game like this, you can't find for many people on earth. And, and Gilmore was able to do it because he's played 11 years at this kind of level. And the thing that has always struck me as amazing about Gilmore is he thinks he has to prove it all the time. Like he's talking about he's he's got to be physical in training camp practices. He's got to play through injuries. This is just not a guy who gets wrapped up in what his stats were and what his past accomplishments were. And that is how you fight through some of the effects of injuries and aging and um, and how much better the quarterbacks are and, and how tough offenses are. He's 32 years old and he went out there and he beat Patrick Mahomes kind of one on one when they went after him. And that's that's an incredible performance. And it just breeds life to everybody else on the team. Three of 10 on third down for the Chiefs. That's a very that's a very significant stat to me. Three of ten on third down. Several several stops on their side of the field. Um, you know, uh, the Chiefs Chiefs were a little bit hampered by the fact that they didn't have their kicker. Harrison Bucker is out. Uh, Matt Amendola, who is playing in his place, is not Harrison Bucker. <laughs> um, that might be the easiest way to put it. But in terms of in ter- so so, but the thing is, the Colts the Colts knew that, and regardless, you want to keep the Chiefs out of the end zone. That's how the Chiefs blow people out. Um, yeah. the, the fact that we're even talking about the kicker, it tells me everything about how the defense played. That is not what we should be talking about with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But they put it on the kicker today because they kept getting stops. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking looking here, so the Chiefs come out. Especially in the second half here. The Chiefs come out after the, after the first half. They get the ball first. They get down to a first and goal from Indianapolis three. Kenny Moore stones Jared McKinnon for a yard. Buckner stones uh, Pacheco for no gain. And then there's a pass broken up by Kenny Moore on, on third and two. That leads to a field goal instead of a touchdown. It doesn't happen to the Chiefs. Not usually. Um, look for another one here. So they get down to the, they get down to the, they're on the Indy 23, first and 10 from the Indy 23. Quitty Pay with a t- with a tackle for loss on McKinnon. Mahomes incomplete. Mahomes incomplete, broken up by Zaire Franklin. Then they try a fake punt. Bobby O'Karake is all over it. 
and and stops that. So no points there. Uh, the next drive, first and ten from the Indianapolis 19. Short gain for McKinnon, three yards. Incomplete to Kelsey, incomplete, uh, short. And if I remember right on this drive, on that drive, there were there were pass runs. Like this is where Mahomes was doing the thing where he just runs backward and runs backward and runs backward until there's no more time and he throws out of bounds. Um, Matt Amendola misses a field goal. That sets up the winning touchdown. Those 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 in the red zone or in the red zone area stops for the defense. That that wins games. That's the kind of thing that wins games, and it won this game. I mean, Matt Ryan was talking about how. Uh, after the game, he was talking about how the the Colts had to make that last one, that last opportunity count because they'd missed so many other opportunities that had been giving given to them. He was talking about the defense and the I mean the special teams too, but the defense was they 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 just kept stopping the Chiefs inside the red zone, and you're not supposed to be able to do that to them. This is the NFL's version of the Warriors. They score in bunches. Today they didn't do that. In fact, the only touchdowns they scored were gifted to them by the Colts' offensive line and Matt Ryan not being able to hold on the ball. Yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing. The past two weeks, all we kept talking about was no one on this defense was making any plays. They had, I think, three sacks. They had three defensive, uh, you know, forced incompletions by anyone in the defensive backfield. They had one turnover. Because today they just had the one turnover, but it was the absolute critical moment, you know, an interception, the very final drive. They had one sack, but, you know, they had, they had harassed Mahomes all day, forced him into 15 incompletions. And the stat that just jumps out to me is in the fourth quarter that you kind of just went through it, but the Chiefs had three different possessions where they were inside the Colts 30 and they didn't score. Now, obviously, the kicker issues are part of that. But again, they kept putting it on the kicker. And this is a game where, like, the fact that they were down, I just remember thinking at the start of the second half, they were down to Patrick. They're trying to come back against the best quarterback in the world. And Julian Blackman's out for a single high safety defense. Shaq Leonard obviously is out. Stephon Gilmore at that moment was out. And it was like, this team just rose up. And Gilmore was part of that, but there's a lot more than that. It was Buckner, like you mentioned. It was Yannick Ngakwe. Had a really good game at, at really critical moments, forcing a holding penalty. You got a sack. Uh, he was just, he was, the rush was coming together with with Buckner. And it was like, whether if you double-teamed Ngakwe, which happened a lot, that freed Buckner up to just destroy the pocket. You double-teamed Buckner, Ngakwe was forcing Mahomes uh, out of the pocket. And then other guys were stepping up along the way, like, you know, Dio Dangbo had had a nice, uh, had a few nice snaps in there. And, like, all season long, the one thing they've done well is stop the run. Again, today, 23 carries for 58 yards. We just, it just felt like it never mattered because they give up all these easy completions and they never make the big play. Today, it all came together where that same run defense was there and they put the game on Mahomes and they just beat Patrick Mahomes. And that, this is where like, I, there's, this is such a week to week league. And the fact that like, this is just one win and it doesn't absolve some of the issues we'll get into, but this is a huge momentous moment because no matter what happens next week or the week after that, this defense knows what it looks like when it's working because it worked against the best quarterback in the world, the best play caller in the world, in a dire moment when they didn't have all their guys because the best players they had wanted to play like the best players at their positions, and that's what they're here to do. We haven't even gotten to the guy who's maybe played the best out of anybody on the Colts roster, but it's time. Grover Stewart's a monster. Yeah. I mean, he also has genius ideas about chicken wings and where to season them. Well, full disclosure, 
as somebody who smokes a lot of meat, uh, I have stolen Grover's season in the sink because it's easier to clean up. Genius. And on the field, he's been dominant. I mean, the Colts' run defense has been great. And I, I know it's the Chiefs. I know they don't aren't known for running the ball, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire came into this game averaging 7.7 yards a carry. Uh, Pacheco was averaging 4.9. Today, the Chiefs on 23 carries, 58 yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, seven carries, no yards. Pacheco, three carries, nine yards. McKinnon, seven carries, 20 yards. Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher as a scrambler. That starts with Grover and is pretty much a lot of it is Grover. They, they had, he's had some help, but Grover has been absolutely just a monster, unblockable in the middle of the line. He's on a different level right now, and it's we just haven't written about it because you know because no one runs, wanted to anything positive. Yeah, the run stuffer so, in yeah. a 20, 24 nothing loss uh, was not the story, but he be, he's becoming the story because. This is kind of what they needed. They needed to put the Chiefs in more difficult positions. The whole plan this week was just make it tough. Like Mahomes is going to make Mahomes and Kelsey are going to make some plays sometimes. They had the touchdown pass. Uh, Mahomes had some other plays where, like you mentioned, it was he scrambles around forever. But it's a couple of those, like he, he would get out of it and, and throw for a first down. He's going to do that to you sometimes. But to play it play after play, I mean, it takes kind of a total effort. And part of that was. Stopping the run like they did, making it, you know, second, third and long, um, letting, you know, and then, you know, what they challenged on the outside with their cornerbacks playing much more press coverage and challenging receivers. But Grover's Grover is on another level. And like the defensive line has been weird because it's been like he's the only guy who's shown up through the first two games. And it was sort of wondering what's going on with that unit. But you see, like the ceiling of this unit is when Buckner and Gakwe are healthy and firing together. And then you add in Grover Stewart and what he's doing. This could be a nasty defensive line. Like this could be a defensive line that just missed. Like Patrick Mahomes gets out of a ton of sacks and you know throws the ball away. There's going to be some teams that if they play like this against, they're going to absolutely suffocate. It's what we we just didn't see it last week because of the coverage stuff. And also Buckner and Ngakwe were just flat out not healthy. It's a story I'll have coming out tomorrow on Ngakwe. But there's more going on that that we didn't all know. This, they got healthier this week, and, and when you put it all together, like Grover Stewart, we talk about all the stars in this defense. They showed up today, but if Grover Stewart's going to be another star for this defense, like there's a really high ceiling, and that's what we saw today, holding Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to only 17 points. Um, another big winner today for Colts, Bubba Ventrone. Yep. Outside of a couple of kick returns, it got a little hairy there in the second half. Um, it felt like a clinic by the Colts uh, special teams unit. Uh, number one, and I know this is going to make Nate laugh because it, I was obsessed with it through the whole game. Um, and there's actually a story. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, there's going to be a story on this. It's hard to catch punts, apparently, when the roof's open. Uh, Naheem Hines says the way the light comes in because it's it's a combination of natural light and unnatural light, and the sun is like right over the stadium at 1 o'clock. It makes it very hard to catch, and he jumped out of the way in one. Um, the Chiefs did not. <laughs> jump out of the way of the first one they should have uh but i i think part of the reason that they that he missed the catch was it, it part of it is the roof and i think the other part of it is ashton doolin ashton doolin is an unbelievable gunner he was in the he was so far down there that he was actually past um sky Moore and couldn't dive back like he was too far to actually recover off, uh, the muff on the punt but that that presence there it has to play a role in a rookie punt returner 
who's not used like who, it's the NFL. You're already uncomfortable because of what's ever's going on with the the sunlight and the the other light, and then you've got they're dueling just bearing down on you. Uh, he lost the punt. Kylan Granson, who Kylan Granson, special team punt coverage extraordinaire today. He had down to punt inside the one. Um, had the fumble recovery that had the muff recovery that led to the the Colts' first touchdown. It, but it was more than that. It was more than just the punt coverage team. Chase McLaughlin, 51-yard kick. That's something the Colts have needed forever, feels like. Um, they they stopped the fake field goal. They, there was just a bunch of stuff the special teams did um, that just highlights how good Bubba Ventrone is when we're talking about anything other than kicking, which is not his specialty. Tony Brown also had a very nice day on special teams. That was a guy that people in the locker room were bringing up. Uh, but yeah, Bubba's had such a tough job this year because I don't know, not to belabor the point, but I don't know why they, you know, what they did at kicker made no sense. That's a position he can't fix. So they just gave him a problem there and then cut him after one week. So that's chaotic. He loses with Rigoberto Sanchez, loses a really good punter and a really good kickoff man. And then they didn't bring back George Odom in the offseason, who you know, was an A special teamer. And then they replaced with Armani Watts, who, you know, suffered a season-ending injury in the preseason. Like, this is a unit that worse coaches would have had fold by now. And they had a bad week one, and then they had a better week two, but it didn't really matter. And then today was their moment. And, like, I, it's just incredible how sometimes this team, when, when they have to have that special teams lift, they get it. They, they just find a way sometimes. And I remember thinking that about that last year against the Patriots, a low-scoring game where they were not able to throw the ball at all. You know, they got a block, blocked punt for a touchdown against a Patriots team that doesn't ever make those mistakes. And remember Bubba, you know, Bubba today, you know, when, when Bobby O'Karake covered that fake field goal and they got off the field, I watched him and he runs out onto the field and he sprints 50 yards dead on a line. Like he was like transported back to player mode. And this is like the confidence he brings to players on all these coverage units. This is how this happens is that play with Ashton Doolin with the, the muffed punt. Like Doolin, I think the reason that Granson is able to play well in that spot when, as you said, he never, he doesn't have that background is that he has the trust in Doolin to do his job and create the chaos. So all Granson was doing on that play is sprinting all the way down and looking for the ball, just wait for the ball to jump out. There's so many times when you see fumbles in games where it's just like the ball's out and it's just hot, you know, hot tamale and it's chaos. Like that's a player who was trained to die for the ball because he trusts a teammate who's an all pro at doing what he's doing. And this is this is the test of good coaching. And like Bubba coached a great game. And like we we have to give a lot of credit to we kind of mentioned it, but but Frank Reich really got this whole thing together. Frank Reich, we and Gus Bradley got to give him credit too because Gus Bradley took a lot of heat this week. And uh, you know, and I'm I'm gonna go ahead and own own something. I had asked him uh in the press conference about facing Patrick Mahomes and the way I word it was that Mahomes had a lot of success against uh single high safety defense and uh he kind of wasn't so sure that that was true and I I told him the locker room I went back and looked at it and it was truly a mixed bag like he did have some all-time great performances with the Chargers against Mahomes and this is the third one to add to it like holding him under 20 points and really getting these guys to buy in and you know, credit this whole coaching staff for making adjustments. That's the thing that will drive you crazy is when you lose, but you don't make adjustments. They took it on themselves to get 1% better too. And playing Isaiah Rogers, when they'd been so stubborn against it before, he's out there in the third series. 
that's another example of it. So today was just a day where the coaching staff, all three of them, I just thought had their best performance after a couple of tough weeks for kind of all of them. And uh, it, it just shows kind of what the cumulative effect of all that is. Before we get to the, before we move to the offensive side of the ball here and, and start talking about that, which I think is going to be the biggest concern going forward, just probably good to just settle in on that. There, there was a lot of stuff said this week that people scoffed at, um, you know, that, you know, even even members of the media sort of sort of scoffed at in terms of Colts saying that they felt like they were close, um, the Colts saying that they weren't going to blow everything up, uh, and and panic, saying that they still believed in the guys they had, uh, and, and I understand. I understand. As bad as it looked in Jacksonville last week, twenty-four nothing loss. As bad as it looked for a long time in Houston, um, that that stuff was all valid. We didn't have anything on the field to suggest that there was that they were that close, you know. Um, and Reich, Reich acknowledged that. He acknowledged that what they put on tape hadn't been there, but he was just saying, through his experience, that they were close and that it could, uh, it, you know, they, they just needed something to turn it around. Well, it turns out he was right. They were right about that stuff. Zaire Franklin said late in the week, um, he said, you can't, it would be tragic to give up on a season in week two just because it hadn't gone your way. And he was right. You know, they have a win now. I mean, they're one, one, and one. They have problems to fix, significant problems. We're about to get to them on offense. Um, but but they're one, one, and one, and they have, they, they have a win over the Chiefs now. They're, 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 they have a chance that I don't think anyone wanted them the thought they should be trying to have. I think most people wanted to blow, want them to blow it up. This is one of the things that's, it's, and I need to ask Reich at some point this week, how do you get, how do you get the team to play like its back is against the wall all the time? Because when they do in his tenure, whenever it feels like it's the sky is falling is usually when they come out and have a game like this and beat somebody that no one could see them beating. Um, and, and as much as we criticized everything that they did before, you have to give them praise for that because no one saw them winning this game the way they played and they ended up winning the chiefs game. You know, what I've always picked up from Reich that I think has, has kind of become his ethos is you have a guy who's played, who played 14 years in this league and every, you know, he, and then he obviously went into the uh, ministry before he came back and was a head coach and everything for him is about, he just truly wants to get the most out of every player and he wants his players to feel like that's, what his approach is, which means coaches have to put it on themselves when it doesn't work. I've I've covered teams that did the opposite of that. Everything was the player's fault all the time. And that, like, when you're losing in those moments, that gets really grinding when it's like your bosses only want to blame you. They don't want to make adjustments. They want you to work harder and not smarter. And this is the opposite of that. There's this calmness. It doesn't play as well, you know, during the week until we see the turnaround because it, it sounds a little soft. Um, I'll admit I, you know, I, I've wondered that about this team at times too, if it if they're quite urgent enough. But it's all about like matching words with with what you show players. And tra- Reich's track record has helped that. There's so many players this week that said we've been here before. We know what this is like. We know how to turn it around. So there was that. But there's also responding to them and, and putting it on yourself as a coaching staff. And I think uh, the Isaiah Rogers moment was was a critical thing this week where. You rarely ever see a player on this team come out and say, you know, kind of call out a coaching staff the way that Julian Blackman did. But they felt they were really hot about it in the secondary. They wanted Isaiah Rogers on the field. 
Uh, they've seen him play last year. They they feel like, you know, they, they feel like he could help him out. And then and then he did it. And then Reich, I just noticed the stress that was on him kind of late in the week. Uh, I, I think of feeling like that hadn't been there. The, the stuff that they had they preached forever wasn't showing up through two weeks. And this was the week they had to turn around. And I just noticed him after the game when he was talking about uh, when someone asked about, you know, this is a big win for him. He just said, no, it's a big win for the players. And he got a little got a little emotional and just kind of moved on. And like that's that is who Frank Reich is for for good or for worse. Sometimes it'll feel a little maybe a little soft, maybe a little too player friendly. But this is what it is. And this is why the boat doesn't rock that much when it seems dire on the outside. Um, offensively, though, they've got some work to do. And I think yeah, ultimately all of it just it all just comes down to the offensive line. I I don't think we can we can talk about play calling. Um, I think some of the stuff is checks, like the two wide receiver screens to Pittman, I feel like are checks, the ones that got blown up. I feel like because on both of those plays, the Chiefs were bringing defensive back pressure, if I remember right. And the throw to Pittman, if if the outside corner gets blocked, is essentially designed to get him the ball with a chance to run into the space vacated by the blitzing guy. Um, and it feels like the fact that it happened twice in that situation makes it feel like a check. Now, is it the right check? No, clearly not, because the Chiefs read it and and blew it up both times. But just trying to expl- I'm just trying to explain why they might have run those in that situation. I, people probably don't care. Um, maybe this is more inside football than than people want to know. But most most plays have a built-in check based on what the defense is doing. The fact that they did that twice did that. But this is a roundabout way of saying until they block somebody. I don't I don't know how this offense gets going. It, it's it's it, it was bad today. I mean, they they scored 20 points, but they were gift they, they were given four or they were given seven on when they went on the, the punt return. And they ended up with 259 yards and 69 plays. That's that's a terrible gain of 3.8 yards per play. That's terrible. And it, it just comes down to the offensive line to me. They they couldn't block they haven't blocked anybody. You know, they, they can't handle the blitz. They they're not they're not winning one-on-one matchups when the when other teams don't blitz. It's five sacks, ten quarterback hits after a five sack, eleven quarterback hit day. Um they're not giving Taylor any room at all. I I I think that I don't know that Taylor played a perfect game, but I also don't know that he had much to work with, you know? Um, and until they find a way to fix this offensive line, it's going to be really hard on offense. You, you can't do anything if you can't block people. They've, they've given up 12 sacks. They've given up 12 sacks in the first three games. To put that in perspective, when Andrew Luck was the quarterback under Reich, they gave up 18 total. When Phillip Rivers was here, they gave up 21 total. And two of those were on Jacoby Brissett, like short yardage things. Not, not, Rivers only took 19 sacks. They're, we're at 12 already. Culture at 12 already through three games. Um, just abysmal. And and outside of I think Quentin Nelson is playing pretty well. I haven't noticed him getting blown up. Uh all four. All of the other four are having trouble. Braden Smith's having trouble. Danny Pinter got run over today in a just embarrassing sack that turned into a fumble. Was that a fumble sack? I can't remember. Yeah. Um I mean, maybe not that play. It, yeah, I think so. It it all runs together because so many of them happen. Smith gave up. Smith gave up a, the the fumble, uh, one of the fumbles. 
They gave up another one on fourth down. I, I didn't like that play call just because you can't trust your protection. But at some point, that's the hard part is that they're going to have to throw the ball because they're not opening enough holes for Taylor to do what he did, say, in Buffalo last year um, or against the Patriots. They're not, they're not giving Ryan enough time. They're not giving him enough room to do that. So they have to throw at some point, and they have to expose the protection. And they're just not doing anything. I mean, they're not handling free. They're not handling blitzes well. Like that's Kelly's responsibility. It's Ryan's response. It's Matt Ryan's responsibility and Kelly's responsibility. Both of them aren't doing a good enough job at getting it identified because it's not working. Um, and then I'm trying to think of who I've missed. Matt Pryor actually didn't notice a ton today, but he hasn't played that well overall. Um, it's been very bad on the offensive line. It's the high, highest paid offensive line in the league. It's You can't pay them that much and get this kind of production out of it. It's been absolutely terrible. And we're at the point now where I think that they have to make some kind of personnel change, whether that's Bernard Raymond, whether that's Dennis Kelly. They have to do something because it's just not working. Pinter, I think, to me, is the weakest link so far. Yeah, yeah, he... uh Denny Pinter has had problems all three games, and he doesn't have the track record the way that Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly do. And if the issue with Pinter, what it looks like to me is mostly physical, is, is that he, and we got run over on a bull rush. Like, if you can't stand in and, and not get run over, you can't play in this league. I mean, you just, you cannot be a starter out there and do that consistently. And that's been there. That's, that was there in training camp. Like, this is not new stuff we're seeing. And it's, at some point, if it's not going to change, and if the problem is the guy's not big and strong enough, but there's not a fix to that other than, you know, trying to scheme up ways to keep him out of one-on-one situations. But that, that that's the problem with all this is like everyone needs a little bit of help and it's not there. And you know, I didn't love that fourth and one play call either because I don't like operating out of the shotgun in that situation. But that shows you where they're at with their belief in the drop back abilities of this offensive line they're not there i get too many of those plays get blown up the same way as that one ended up getting because there's just so much edge pressure or there's a defense tackle that walks uh pincher or ryan kelly into matt ryan um so it's a problem and to, the biggest testament to me why i'm raving about special teams and defense is that somehow the colts won a game over a good team and i barely noticed jonathan taylor he had 21 carries for 71 yards along of 13 like nothing felt he didn't score. Um, and that's not a slight on Taylor. Like I do think he left a little bit of yardage out there, but there's just so little opportunity. And there were moments where he has a strong burst. He gets right to the and there's just never a second. Like it's hard enough for them to get a first level block. He never gets a second level block out of this offensive line. And it's just a problem. So I do think this is a week to make changes. One thing that I'm curious to see, I Bernard Raymond was not healthy today, so they they just rolled with this group again. But if he's out there or if he's he's able to play, it may be time to just live in that world. And either, you know, what I think is probably most likely is move Matt Pryor to right guard where he started. And I think his his size really fits well. That would that would ease up Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly theoretically to play better. We know what Quinn Nelson is at left guard. That'll help Raymond theoretically. And you just live with the rookie on the left side because it, you got to get those other four spots playing well. Like there's just not enough guys in this line playing well. And if the, if Taylor has to make one guy miss, or if Brian has to has to deal with pressure off of one edge consistently, you can game plan around that. Right now, every, so many fans still want to make this about play calling, and I just don't think that's the conversation to have right now. Like they have to 
fix the personnel and you know the protections and everything else at the offensive line, or no one can call play. Like Andy Reid, Sean Payton, none of those guys could call effective plays with the way this offensive line is playing, snapping and snap outs. The highest paid unit in the league is performing like maybe the worst in the league. I'd be surprised if there were many teams that's, that have given up more sacks and uh, quarterback hits than this team has. And they're not playing defenses that I think are dominant, suffocating uh, pressure units yet. So th- something has got to change here. And, you know, I, we keep saying that you guys just have to play better. But at some point, three straight weeks, you get dominated, dominated, dominated. I guess the Texans, they did okay at the end. But at some point, if it's not if it's not getting any better, you have no choice but to change it. Because as many good things as happened in this game, so many things had to go the Colts' way to win because that offensive line was bad and they scored 20 total points and that's just not going to cut it week in and week out. So they have to fix that unit now. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, there's just no way other way to say it than just this offense can't do anything until they have an offensive line that can do something. Um, it's 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 been been terrible and it's i think it's it's just drawing down the entire offense um some good developments from the rookies today uh, i wrote about this with jelani woods and alec pierce i think that if they can get those guys going they add some dimensions that this team hasn't had in a while specifically down the field with woods i think in the red zone too um they haven't had that from the tight end position a ton but just just it's hard to talk about anything on offense positively outside of Woods catching the touchdown passes and some of the Pierce stuff because the, the offensive line, it's just so been so bad. It's been so bad. And and trying to find uh, reasons for it is uh, to some degree, I think, I, I think it has to do with if I had to guess, because this offensive line was actually pretty good with Chris Strasser here in, in 2019 and 2020. And I think the big difference is that in those seasons, the, the big, biggest difference I can see from the outside is um, the the biggest the biggest difference I can see outside of that is left tackle. Uh, they had Anthony Costanzo in 2019 and 2020. They haven't had him in the last two years. They've they've tried to patch it with bad options both times, and it seems to weaken the entire group and then you end up with uh, a bad decision at right guard this year and it makes it even worse. And then Braden Smith's shortcomings end up getting magnified. Ryan Kelly's decline of play so far ends up getting magnified, not paying the offensive line as much as they have, but not, but taking chances on some of those other positions, I think has hurt the entire whole in a way that that we're seeing just kind of collapse in on itself. Matt Ryan never saw a pocket that was good today. And that's that's a problem. A huge problem. There, the, there's no way to say it that's that's there's no way to say it that's bad enough to describe the way the offensive line is played. And it's amazing to look at the stats and see Ryan finished 27 of 37, 222 yards, two touchdowns, a 106 rating. Like for as hard of a day as it was to get that, that shows you how really effective he was with receivers at certain moments, how efficient the receivers were. Michael Pittman, eight catches on nine targets. Naheem Hines, five catches on six targets. 
Alec Pierce came up with big plays. That 30-yarder down the right sideline was a huge contested catch. Jelani Woods turned in two targets in the red zone for touchdowns. Um, and then even guys like Helen Granson and Paris Campbell at the very end, when they had to get some catches just to get a drive going, they did it. And like that, that's just working way too hard for guys that are just going to have up and down moments. I mean, like this was a great step forward for Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, but those are rookies and they're not going to, you can't have rookies bailing out the highest paid offensive line in the league. Like that is completely unacceptable that we're even having that conversation. And it is hard to figure out what the root cause is because obviously losing Costanzo, that's an obvious effect. But I still think about like last year, this offensive line still had some really great moments against the Jets, against the Bills. Um, you know, before the COVID set in, you know, they they had a, a left tackle issue with Eric Fisher, but those other four were just so solid. And the biggest, the, the, obviously, the one change there is going from um, Chris Reed and Mark Lewinsky to Danny Pinter at right guard. That feels like a bad bet, but that alone, I just that alone shouldn't be creating the issues we're seeing with Ryan Kelly, with protections, with bull rushes, with Braden Smith around the edge. And, you know, losing Jack Doyle, I'm sure it has a little bit of an effect on that. But the reality is that, like, I just really thought Kelly and Smith would lift this up a little bit. I mean, they've got to lift, you know, like I said, they're not going to make up for everything Danny Pinter's going through, but they have too many one-on-one moments they're not cashing in on. And it's, it's very hard to figure out right now. So um, I, at some point, I just think that the, the place to start is to make those two more comfortable, get get a right guard in there that they trust. They've played with Matt Pryor. Um, another option you've you've brought up before is moving Braden Smith into right guard, where they've, they've experimented with that. That'd be Pryor at right tackle, which he has played. Pryor told me last week, like, he feels there are things he cannot get away with on the left side that he was able to do on the right side because it's the blind side. Um, so maybe that's a little bit better for him. but. Really, it's going to just put a ton of stress at the end of the day on Chris Strasser, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith to figure it out because that's why this unit is paid that highly to figure this out. For all we know, as much as we know, this unit's healthy. I don't, there may be underlying things that happen sometimes, but for the most part, they've been out there. They've had, there's just not that many excuses when they've had five guys out there in five spots practicing since the spring, same position coach, same offensive system. And the guys they're paying to get it done just aren't getting it done. So someone's going to have to step up and they're going to have to change the environment in some meaningful way. Yeah, it's 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 the right place to end the podcast because like they got the win, but it's it's every game is going to be a slog like this and difficult like this until they can start until they can start blocking people. And I mean, Matt Ryan has fumbled the ball too much. We haven't talked much about him on on this. I think. It's just fair to say that, you know, his calm under pressure has shown up in Houston or under in, in bad situations showed up in Houston. It showed up today. That's good. The fumbling is bad. I don't think we need to go into it much because, again, the offensive line, if they don't fix it, if they don't fix it, the, the, I don't see how they can get to where they want to go because they have to be able to score. And they can't do that with the offensive line playing the way it was, the way it, the way it has been. And to to kind of put a ball on all this, this is just a, a moment that popped in my head, but um, it relates to the Colts is, and one of their defensive assistants, John Fox. He was he was covering the Bears in my first job uh, back in 2015, 
And I remember they they had a joint practice with the Colts. Just to put it in perspective, what offensive line play is like for the quarterback. And that year, he had said that that he it came up with their look at their preseason opponents. He didn't buy in the Colts at all. They had all this preseason hype, and the reason was he saw them for uh, two joint practices and said, you know, they cannot protect this quarterback. And he he in all of his levels of football, he said like when the offense cannot diagnose where pressure is coming from, it will never look how it's supposed to look. A quarterback will never look comfortable. Like there's just a basic comfort level to that. That's just hard to understand until you're out there and you're dealing with this unpredictability snap to snap. I think that's what's going on with Ryan is he, he seems like he should be better than some of these, you know, fumbles and some of these, like not seeing, not seeing some of the bliss, but it's happening all the time. There's so much he's trying to, figure out between the receivers, between getting the snap off the uh, the audibles. And the one thing we thought he was not going to have to just carry on his own was protections. So they're not going to make Ryan look comfortable. And if he's not comfortable at age 37, um, then we're not going to hit anything near his ceiling. So I give him a lot of credit. These receivers, a lot of credit. The game plan, a lot of credit for working through this. But yeah, long term, you can't work through uh, these type of issues in the offensive line, and no one should know that the value of protecting a quarterback more than the Indianapolis Colts. And I have a feeling the people who oversaw the end of that Andrew Luck tenure, um, they got to be raising some alarm bells when this shows up every single week. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be asking questions about the offensive line through the rest of the week and maybe more than that. Um, the lights are starting to go off here in Lucas Oil Stadium. So uh, we're probably going to wrap up the, the first impressions bot here. Colts, Colts 20. Chief 17 game they had to have kind of remarkable they ended up winning given how bad the offensive line played uh but that's the thing that's the thing they have to fix a- everything else today the, the first that the, I'll, maybe i'll end here with for the last thought for me the the more the longer the game went on the more i just kept thinking that this game was different than the first two because the first two games it felt like a lot of different things were going wrong and didn't look the way they should today it felt like it boiled down to the offensive line. Everything, everything boiled down to the offensive line. It, it, that was the, 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 they, they got plays from receivers. They got plays from the defense. The, they, the defensive big players look, they, they look better in the past defense than they had. You got Isaiah Rogers on the field. Naheem Hines was involved. Uh, I think more than, uh, we'll see the snap count, but it felt like he was involved more. Um, all that kind of stuff was going on and they just, couldn't block anybody and it really boils down to what for me to what the big problem is with this team until the offensive line plays the way it's paid it every game is going to be tough yeah, frank reich to start this week put it on every coach and every player to make individual corrections be selfless and make improvements for the collective whole to rise and almost every coach did it almost every player did it the one unit that didn't do it is the one they're paying more than any other, and that's the problem they have. So they got to fix it. With that, that's the first impressions edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Tennessee on deck next, coming off of their own um, momentum-stopping win, uh, beating the Raiders. I did, weird thing today, AFC South 3, AFC West known. <laughs> that's that's not the way that's supposed to go. Um <laughs> Based on based on the perception, uh, but 
But yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is is we're we're gonna look at the offensive line for the Colts Cover Two podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson and Nate Atkins.